0: Hello, and welcome to PinCount, the podcast where we go deep into the tech. I'm Douglas Shearer, and I'm here with my co-host, Ian Wallace.
1: Hello. I think this might be the last one of these we record in a while, actually, as we're both getting pretty busy and going to be struggling to record for various reasons.
0: Yeah, so I think we'll probably have a couple of months off after this, but I would reckon we'll probably be back.
1: Yeah, so if anyone's got any topic ideas in the meantime, you know where to write. Wrong on the internet at pincountpodcast.com. So today... We've got a bit of the usual bit of follow-up, some news and usual CPUs and things. Um, let's just get into it and see where we get to.
0: Cool. So the first thing we've got is uh, last time we talked about kernel locks and the macOS kernel holding back disk performance. This was a similar article I saw shortly after that, where it was in memcache.org, the people who produced the memcache caching server, um, did some testing on multiple SSDs, and they actually came to a similar conclusion. Um, I'll read the sentence out from the, the results of the report. It's a good report to look at. It shows like... Single device has fairly linear performance, and then I mean, when you get to two devices, the performance is a bit less linear. But then it gets much less linear after two devices. But there is a big performance hit from going from one to two, and not much more of a hit for going to three. And in their conclusion, they say when moving to multiple devices, the latency cliff comes later, but is worse than single device. Three Optane drives perform almost the same as two. This is due to lock contention on the file system buffer cache.
1: Yeah, this is interesting because it's. I mean, yeah, it speaks to what we we're saying It's... File systems are old, right? They just need to work differently these days. Yeah. Um, you've also put some... So, I, yeah, I don't know there's any sort of practical advice here unless you're doing very high-performance. Yeah, I think systems.
0: it's just interesting to note that there is definitely a performance degradation. With Maybe hardware's got so good we're, trying to, we're starting to find other bottlenecks.
1: And you got some other follow-up here on AMD and ARM CPUs on EC2. And a quote from me, but I'm not quite sure why that's there.
0: So the quote quote from you last time was we talked about Amazon's new um, EC2 instances that have, I think they're A1 instance, that have uh, ARM CPUs in them of their own design um hmm. and you you said well we we're recording why would you want this? And I was like, I don't really know. Like I think it's the first I think it's the first of many sort of ARM CPU iterations and then this is then just testing the water and getting something out there to scale. Pharonix, So who we talk about occasionally, um, did an article comparing the performance of these A one instances to other instances available on E C two and the the performance and the performance per dollar does not look good on these.
1: Performance per dollar for what all workloads? Some workloads.
0: Most of the the workloads, it wasn't that good. You're looking at like looking quick, looking at the charts here compared to an Intel instance. You're looking at maybe a third of the performance. Um, mm. Interestingly, they also had the AMD instances, which we wondered why would you want that, and, and that, they don't <laughs> hold up to the Intel instances either. In a lot of cases, they are quite a bit
1: behind. Oh yeah, these are these are not fast machines, are they? No, no I think. But they're... then that's the kind of the point. Like, do they have? numbers against cost at
0: I think on the last page there's a performance per dollar thing. Uh, Yeah, on the last page there's performance per cost. Oh,
1: yeah, okay, yeah. Performancing.
0: Even there it's still... Oh, yeah,
1: they're not good just because the absolute performance is so huge on some of the Intel machines.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess the big thing here, like Amazon, by having these three instance types, is getting to play three vendors off against each other, even though one of the vendors is kind of themselves.
1: Oh, well, they've done better in one test. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mostly not.
0: Yeah, so I think we'll, we'll definitely see more on this. There's not really a compelling case to use these at the moment. Maybe if you do arm development, but then how many machines do you need to do that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I do arm development, and just, just, no, we're not using these yet. Yeah. Um, I guess the reason would be for some, it'd be interesting that there's probably use cases where it's not disastrously more expensive, and they might be interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that, like, yeah, if, if people, but, I mean, I, I did say when these first came out the thing to do would be like benchmark your work your workload on these machines and just see what the difference is um for me there is no benefit but i'm sure for some people there is um and they'll be the people that sort of adopt it in a sort of large scale way
1: and i wonder how much they're using it internally right there might be some
0: yeah i think there's definitely a case yeah where there's there's drive to use it internally but then there the AWS teams are famously really sort of siloed, so there's no pressure from one team from another team to use a certain product, so they have to make things that are compelling um, for them to dog food themselves um, before even releasing them to customers, so maybe there is someone that's using it internally.
1: Okay, so I stand by my statement of why would you want this?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I would stand by that statement as well.
1: And then this next article, I think you put this in, although it's the sort of thing I enjoy, because given that they're, by the second sentence, they're already referencing Godel's incompleteness theorem, so I'm well into that scene. Um, yeah. Love me a mathematical proof. Yeah,
0: yeah so th- this is an article that just, it's on nature.com, and um, it combines two of my favourite sort of buzzwordy things. One is AI, or machine learning, and the other one is the uh, intractability, or unprovability, is that you use the word here. I don't know if there's actually a difference there, but anyway. And it's just, they're just...
1: I was, was going to say, the... I need to read through the proof in detail, but it is, it is a really nice um, and quite, I think, quite intuitive, although really you shouldn't use intuition when you're proving things, in fact you can't, but it is a nice. It is actually, it's rare for proof to be intuitive in some way, but here it is And they're showing the connection between learning and data compression, i.e. if you can I mean, to give an intuition on the intuition, if it's possible in some representation to compress some data, then there is it's possible to learn from that data, right? There's a there's a different representation of the same data that you can learn, effectively.
0: Yeah, and I suppose that's ultimately the thing—the whole point of machine learning—is that you don't have a database where you can look up every single item that ever exists. Like, say you're looking at you comparing cats and dogs and trying to pick them apart. You don't have a picture of every single cat and every single dog that you can go and look up. You need that data in some smaller format and then make guesses based on that data.
1: Well, see, actually, if they're by doing the link to compression. You maybe can, right? I mean, if if you can, this is a classical overfitting in machine learning where you basically learn each of your training case examples, yeah, and you can't generalize to new data, but you can get a very compact representation of your training data. So, yeah, I mean, this maybe doesn't distinguish that case, um, but the, that's not what it's trying to do, right? This is this is about showing it's impossible. I mean, the, the, I guess the take home here is it's impossible to prove whether or not a machine learning algorithm could solve a particular problem. Yeah, it means it's impossible to prove not it's impossible to know if it's a good idea and things like that. There's a different yeah. thing, right? There's a skill and a science and understanding where ML should be applied and where it should not be applied, like what tasks are well-suited. And like the, the intuition I normally give people in this, for example, and certainly in the scope of image understanding, if it's understanding for an image that a human could get very quickly, like with a glance, you know, yeah. imagine flicking through a stack of postcards, then that is suitable for application machine learning at the moment. If it's something we'd have to look carefully, study a picture, say, not good for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, this article is like a nice high level on that.
1: Uh, you've got some classic CPU news. We love a bit of CPU news. And this is... um, Was this the ARM stuff? AMD, sorry. Announcing the world's first 7 nanometer gaming GPU. <laughs> I kind of read that and I was like, people game on AMD GPUs?
0: <laughs> I suppose that's the thing with this. And there's like the two things like... like... AMD making the gaming GPU, unless it's at the low end, I don't think it's terribly relevant at the moment because their latest GPUs aren't really competitive or even price competitive at the sort of medium to high end with um, NVIDIA, which is a shame. At the low end, I think they're quite competitive. But yeah, so is it that relevant? But also they're doing the 7 nanometer thing again, which I think they've been doing with their CPUs, which is not the same 7 nanometer as Intel would use, but it's a nice marketing phrase to put out there. I was
1: also going to say he uses an AMD GPU... As I literally stare at a machine with an AMD GPU in it, but uh, not through choice. I um, yeah. Have to say I was doing some PyTorch work on this machine the other day, and it's just like, yeah, there is no back end I can use that uses the GPUs. CPU inference only, which is fairly painful. Mm. And then also on the CPUs, we've got there's we've got a link from a while back which shows the Coffee Lake refresh. So that's the ninth gen. Intel CPUs, and then now some of them are starting to appear in the wild. So, the top end one, the i99900K, that's in that's the top um, build to order option on the new IMAX that came out this week. Um, it's quite a nice chip, right? Um, eight yeah. cores, 16 threads, turbo's up to five gigahertz, base frequency of 3.6. That's that's you know pretty solid.
0: Yeah, that's quite. It's quite a machine. I mean, it's it's interesting that they've, they've actually plumped. I mean, they don't really have an option if you're going to put the latest Intel sort of consumer CPUs in the iMac that is kind of so close to the sort of bottom end spec of the iMac Pro. Uh, the one big differentiator seems to be that the iMac doesn't have their T two T two security and I O chip, so that the SSD I O is going to be about half the speed um, or maybe less than that. No big so,
1: GPUs either. The GPU, nope. but then. Yeah. Um, see previous conversation for. There's no good GPUs in either, so. Yeah. So and there's I no mean, properly high-end CPU options in either, either. So. No,
0: I mean the the top-end iMac is like I think I expect it with like a terabyte SSD and thirty-two gig RAM. It's like three thousand six hundred quid, and actually, it's, it's only, literally only a few hundred pounds away from a sort of similar spec in the iMac Pro. So, um, if you value I/O, it's a few hundred pounds away.
1: Yeah, and you can only go up to eighteen cores in an iMac Pro and you can now go to 256 gigs of ram which is pretty decent for a workstation mm-hmm. but um like there are still no high-end workstation option right if you want many cores many many memory channels i.e the socket thirty-seven, three six four seven stuff yeah that that just doesn't exist as an option yeah.
0: I mean, yeah, maybe maybe that'll appear within Mac Pro that's purported to appear at some point this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're still limited in the TDP, really. I mean, even even although they've taken out this capacity for spinning discs in iMac Pro and it's a bit more cooling headroom and stuff, um, they're still not fitting the big 250-watt chips in there or, or dual chips, so...
0: That was an interesting thing... I saw someone talking about was that the 21-inch iMac as opposed to the 27 doesn't get the 8-core chips. It gets the previous generation 6-core chips. And a few people wondered if that was due to sort of thermal limitations in the current iMac design, because it does have the spinning disc in there and it takes up extra room and such
1: like. Maybe, but the 8-cores the don't actually up the TDPs or even... I mean, TDPs are a bit of a vague number these days. But, yeah, there's not actually a huge amount... I don't... Well, I'm led to believe there's not a huge amount of increase in the thermal load. It's yep. just... Um, yeah, you've just got more cores to play with. So, and that also means there's probably not a huge absolute performance increase, unless you, you know, really need the multiple sim- simultaneous threads rather than sort of peak clock speed. You might find those six cores are running faster than eight under a similar load.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly very likely.
1: And then I guess from the big CPU to the small CPU, uh, it's GTC and gdc any three-letter conferences beginning with G happening this week. Actually, yeah, we should talk about Google Stadia. So, but um. So, yeah, NVIDIA have got a new chip out, it's Jetson Nano, um, I don't know, did you see this?
0: Yeah, my view, Jetson Nano is like a small version of the sort of Jetson platform they've been working on, which is like a, mostly it's appeared as like a developer kit for doing self-driving self driving cars and other sort of machine learning tasks where you want inference at at, at an edge, at the edge. Um it's sort of like a Raspberry Pi-sized device, similar sort of cost as well as a high-end Raspberry Pi or a similar device. It's about $100 or maybe £100, I can't remember. Um, but it's certainly aimed more at the enthusiast. The previous system started at multiple hundreds of pounds, so this is a definite step down into getting it in enthusiast hands.
1: Yeah, so I, I kind of like... Yeah, I have thoughts about it. So yeah, power-wise, it's, it's, it's kind of a TX1. Kind of is and of kind of isn't. There are actually some differences in it. Um, it's a bit like the 4GB... TX one variant. It's only four gigs of RAM. I, I I kind of have. So they kind of go on about how small it is, right? Hmm. But it's it's not right. It's the the actual module itself. Um,
0: it's small if you don't have anything attached to it.
1: But it's not right. So it's a SODIMM format, right? Which means it's edge socketed, which means a carrier board has to take up a bit more room than the actual thing itself, right? Yeah. Um, and the thing itself is seventy by forty-five mils. A TX2 or a TX1 is 90 by 50 mils and has a connector on the bottom, so it doesn't have to take up any more room. So it is all of 20 mils shorter, and that's in the absolute best case than a TX2. um, And it has way less peripherals in it, right? There's no Wi-Fi built into it. You have to add a Wi-Fi adapter, whereas you get Wi-Fi in a TX2. Not in the industrial variants, but um, TX2 or TX1 has Wi-Fi. They released cheaper TX1s anyway for a few hundred bucks. So like I mean cheap is its main advantage, but it's not a huge amount cheaper. I mean okay it's a third of the cost. Yeah. Weirdly you lose VP9 encoding so it must be a slightly different video codec chip in there. It does let you power off a USB power supply, which is nice. 5 volts, 2 amps. Um and you can run it in but power consumption wise it's not a huge amount less. It's got a um a 10 watt and a 5 watt mode uh, plus a, up to about a watt and a quarter for the board yeah. but you know so you lose quite a lot compared to a TX2 you gain a minor size reduction um, I guess the real thing here is the carrier board it comes with, the dev board is quite compact whereas a, a TX dev board is quite large it's mini ITX whereas this thing is more Raspberry Pi like in size so it's really it's only small in context of with the dev board Um
0: do you think this is a way for people who would buy a dev board for a TX1, TX2 prototype something, go to production and then they would use a different format for the actual chip that goes in the production device? Do you see this as a way for people who don't want to spend that money on doing the separate board and such like they just have a thing they can put in a production product?
1: Yeah, I kind of think that's why they've done it and for maybe for education and, and to make it cheaper. Um, yeah, Cheaper to get something that you can put on because I mean, so you get a a TX2 on a dev board or a TX1 on a dev board is a few hundred bucks and then double that again maybe or or same again for a different carrier board if you need to make it smaller and so on, plus the integration. So then I guess, yeah, this is getting up to be maybe a sixth of the price for something that you can still fit in a reasonably small robot. Yeah. A small robot is probably a cheap robot. So, yeah, at that point that is, you know, it's getting a cheap, complete thing. Like, you'd see people putting the dev boards on drones and in robots, even though they're quite bulky, they're kind of strapping them on somehow. Yeah. Because they don't want to I guess so I guess it is a, a barrier to some people. Although what I'd say is I kind of don't see this as a serious device, if you know what I mean? Because if you're doing anything serious you can afford to spend the money, right? Yeah. Yeah. You'd rather the power apart from where it maybe is serious, it is at much larger scale. Right. Yeah. So if you're building Thousands of devices, then suddenly the price difference makes makes a difference to you, you know.
0: Yeah, and that may be the case where if you're building like hundreds or thousands of devices, this works out a hundred dollars, whereas spending ten thousand quid to develop a separate board for a TX one or a TX two doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, it would be quite a fun, a fun sort of maker board, right? If you want to integrate some, because I mean, I kind of say it's not; it's nowhere near as powerful as a TX two. It's kind of TX one, but that is still a world away from our Raspberry Pi, right? This thing is yeah. it's got a proper GPU, right? Mm. Um and it is quite low power. You know, you can battery power when it is fairly reasonably. Um it's got some nice video encode and hardware accelerated video decode. Um you know I, I would expect this to be able to um encode four K in a couple of watts. Yeah. Basically, right? Um so yeah, I mean I can I can see there's reasons you might want this. I don't think there's any reasons I'd want this. But
0: <laughs> so how many have you ordered?
1: <laughs> I am on holiday, I've not ordered any. <laughs> um Yeah. No, I'm more interested in, in more power. Yeah. Uh although I kinda wonder you can run Google you can run Chrome on one of these and I wonder about using it as a, a client for a Google Stadia, you you seen that in GDC?
0: Yeah, so we've got a couple of gaming things, and we don't have Google Stadia in here, but I definitely think we should talk about it, even just as sort of from a user perspective. It's kind of interesting technically as well. Um, Google Stadia.
1: Yeah, a quick a quick overview for people who've been hiding in a cave.
0: Um, yeah, so Google Stadia is uh, well, a couple of companies in the last few years have offered services where you can effectively rent a gaming PC that's in a data center somewhere and then you can use your laptop or home computer that might not have the power to run certain games um, as like a sort of thin client to then play the game over the network with the the GPU and the CPU that happening in the data center somewhere. Google Stadia is Google's entrance into this market um, where they're doing the same thing. The interesting thing about it is... They're aiming to do what Netflix um, Open Connect does, where they're put wanting to put these machines and banks of these machines or racks of these machines in um, telephone exchanges or large sort of internet provider data centres, like way closer to the client than, say, a Google data centre would be.
1: Yeah, they're putting them in their edge nodes.
0: <laughs> yeah, putting them in their edge. So. People are connecting to a machine that's pretty close to them. The only orders I know of so far, probably pretty big orders, are in Japan and Korea, where sort of the gaming cafe thing's quite popular, um, or people don't have enough room in their house to have like a separate gaming PC.
1: I think this is, I mean, so there's some other super interesting uh, tidbits that have come out of this. So, one is like the latency numbers they're shooting for, um, yeah. and how and how they're getting to them. So, they're talking about about 160 milliseconds of latency, which is pretty impressive, and like given a poor quality television that you might have picked up to a console or one just configured wrong can easily be adding 150 or 200 milliseconds of latency yeah. from a console input. That's, uh, you know, quite something, or even a typical, um, some interesting, uh, tweets from Gary Bernhardt and the old post from Dan Lou about, um, typical, uh, terminal latency and text editors being in order of hundred milliseconds. So that 160 milliseconds isn't a lot. And, They've also done a really super interesting thing, I think, with the controller for this, right? Have mm. you seen the controller?
0: Yeah, they've got like their own controller. Um...
1: But, you know, so the interesting thing about the controller is the controller is connected by Wi-Fi and the controller is directly a client to the cloud instance. It, oh, is not, okay. it is not connecting to your local Chrome browser. Yeah. And if you've seen the demo where they migrate playing a game across a whole bunch of screens at once, the reason that works at all is because it's not migrating, right? Your interaction with it is from the controller, and the guy's using the same controller moving between the screen. Yeah, you're just, Different you're just rendering like casting
0: inputs. the image to whatever screen yeah. you want to cast it to. And I
1: think that's that's super interesting, Like the idea of having, rather than have the latency of the controller to the computer, you can do it with USB-connected peripherals, but the, the advantage of their controller is it's got its own internet connection, so it can be connecting direct to the, the VM that's running your thing. Yeah. And actually, who would use AMD GPUs for gaming there if this is based off AMD GPUs?
0: Mm, probably.
1: Uh, no, they've said definitely AMD GPUs. AMD, the CPU say, there. Yeah,
0: AMD said it was some sort of hybrid thing involving AMD, but wouldn't say which part they were making and if they were making the CPU or the GPU.
1: Google Slides say GPU and do not say who makes the CPU.
0: Okay, that's interesting. Okay, I haven't seen the Google Slides.
1: I, look, I looked into this. Um, yeah, I'm and...
0: interested to try this. Because the, the, the oh lat- yeah, I'm super interested. Yeah, the latency thing's interesting. Like, like, I do worry if you're playing it on like a TV, it is like it's 160 milliseconds of latency on top of the TV latency you were talking about. So that, you know that's when it, it's these things comp- latency compounds in these cases. Um, right, but
1: this is why the controller thing is clever because it isn't compounding, right? If the controller mm-hmm. has got 160 milliseconds of latency and you've probably got something around that coming through your display, then it's it doesn't matter. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, and whether or not it's noticeable and so on. So, yeah, I'm interested because this is potentially a new Lease of Life for my gaming machine or swap it out for something just super low powered that I can run a browser. Yeah. Um, or even just a Chromecast. Yeah. you can do it with a Chromecast. And they're talking about 4K and stuff. And if this is a way for me to get 4K gaming, then that gives me maybe a reason to get a 4K TV. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. And yeah. also, because the back end's Linux, this is, this is great news for. Um, from my point of view for Unity and Unreal's Linux support getting yep. much better. Yeah, And as yeah, someone who develops three D Linux applications professionally, like that's part of what I do, then yeah, this is, this is exciting news, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean the only experience I've had with anything like this is using the Steam what do they call it? Steam at home gaming Steam link. Sorry?
1: The Steam, Steam link or Steam Link or yeah, in home streaming. In home ah, streaming. Do you see news on that? Which is now not just in the home.
0: Yeah, so I've like had to play with that and it's like, it's okay most of the time if you're playing something, like if you're playing like an FPS online game, it's not brilliant, but there's a whole class of games where it, the latency just doesn't matter at all.
1: Um, But then the big thing about Stadia is obviously it will directly render to YouTube, yeah, you know, yeah. 4K
0: HDR and all that. Yeah, I mean, they're, nice. they're just doing like um, a stream from the sort of host device, like just straight out. Code the video, put it straight out to YouTube.
1: Um, so also in the gaming news, you or me putting a link to a video on the ESRGAN texture packs. I think we talked about that last time, right?
0: Yes, yeah, so I think it was you. Um, put this in. This is quite interesting. Uh,
1: it's a super resolution gan. Um, so yeah, enhanced super resolution gan. Um, came out of ECCV 18, European Computer Vision Conference. Um, and this is so you you train it on. Um, a bunch of data, effectively, effectively unsupervised, kind of, yeah, and then it learns a particular uh, art style, if you like, and then can do super resolution based on that. And people are using this to create texture packs that um, increase the resolution of old games, and yeah. it's amazing because they're increasing the resolution of games, but in the style of the art, they're not redrawing the textures. They're generating higher resolution ones. Yeah. So, this Half Life video, uh, the screen split left and right. Left is with the original textures, and right is with the Esrgan enhanced ones. Yeah. So, it's kind of a subtle quality improvement, but really quite striking, aren't you?
0: Yeah, I think it's especially noticeable in a game like Half Life, where it, when you go back and play Half Life now, it's quite obvious how sort of low poly and sort of low. What was the word I'm looking for in terms of the textures? Like the.
1: Well, just low res. Right? Yeah, they're just
0: low res. Yeah, um, and when you see the side beside, like you, maybe if you saw the the right side, the enhanced side on its own, you'd be like, "That's not that impressive." But when you see both sides together, that is like really impressive. It makes quite a yeah.
1: There's just a, a sharpness missing from the original. Yeah,
0: yeah. Th- this is this is a cool use of this technology. It'd be really interesting if you could do something like what we were talking about earlier with the compression thing, and we've talked about this before. Use it have the have the trained model and distribute that and it might be smaller than distributing the resized textures a lot i doubt it for something like half-life but um, yeah this is yeah this is a cool use of the technology
1: and then leading to this you've put in this ray quick ray trace quick 2 stuff
0: yeah so this is a um someone's uh, made a re- ray retraced version of quick 2 as you just said you need a an rtx gpu to play it to see it actually working but it is really impressive like Compared to the demos we were seeing like a year ago, this looks amazing. Like this is actually playable. Um yeah, so there's
1: videos. Well there's link videos in the link which are quite cool. Um and it's yeah, it's, it's just some more realistic lighting. It's yeah. adding quite a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean like so I suppose Quick Two is quite sort of early on graphics wise, so there isn't like a huge amount of shadows and things anyway. And this actually just the shadows become a natural thing from the sources of light that are around. That's just how ray tracing works. You don't have to... They're not like an artificial construct. Um, So, yeah, I was really excited when I first saw this. I was really excited to play it and then realised I didn't have a GPU I could play it on. So, it's a bit sad. Um, I'll put the link into the Hacker News uh, discussion as well because there's a lot of sort of interesting things that people say there. Um, Yeah, it's cool. Uh, And also, I'll include a video for... um, Battlefield 5 from one of their tech demos that is CES where they did like an, a demo where they turned RTX on and off and there was a sort of man went around for a while and they joked about this uh, this is like a real version of it and it's some. sometimes it is really really impressive what you see in the reflections and such like in the scenes is amazing, um, whether it's worth it or not still, it's, well, I don't think it's worth it for me but it's it's cool to see a, like a, a very useful demo of this.
1: And then I think that's all our gaming news, Here we've got some uh... CPU instruction set news, <laughs> everyone's favourite. Why did you put this in? It doesn't look that interesting. What was interesting?
0: Was this? Uh, so this is uh, ARM introduces ARMv8.1-m architecture with new helium vector inst- extensions. And the reason I put this in was mostly the helium vector extensions. Um, so the, the quote here, again, it's for Onyx, is the new vector extension for ARM is said to offer 15x greater machine learning performance, but also up to five times uplift for signal processing.
1: Yeah, I was like fifteen, t- 15 times compared to what? I couldn't yeah, find yeah, it it really.
0: fi- fi- yeah. I mean, fifteen times nothing is nothing. So it's like it doesn't really matter. But it's interesting to see these things making it into the ARM architecture, like slowly. Um, like we're going to get more and more um, vector extensions over time for ARM, and they are just yeah they keep appearing. This is yet another one on February.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. This kind of um, slow. I mean, I mean, it's it's classic CISC instruction set, right? You get more and more complex instructions, but this is you know first came the uh, vector extensions for multimedia stuff. I mean, your classic MMX back in the day, that's what that was. Um, was Segwaying into, you know, in the modern era, the various flavors of EVX. Um, And now the various machine learning extensions. This this will eventually just be a natural part of any processor, I think. But then um, what next? You know, what uh, specialist instruction sets next, I wonder?
0: I mean it does seem it does seem like we've had quite a gap between like A V X two and A V X five twelve and then things like, you know, helium. You know, there wasn't really new things that came along that needed the help. Like bigger video came along and that was pretty much it as far as I can see.
1: Yeah, I wonder if well, I mean yeah, you got the dedicated motion processors as well, which is just yeah. separate core processing rather than an extension to the instruction set. But I wonder if with um more AR use cases, and you know, as more of this additional stuff is needed, more of the time for more applications. If bringing it into the CPU to get the hardware complexity of the devices down is something that happens, in in the same way that software-defined radios are what uh, and real-time kernels are what allowed allowed Wi-Fi to move onto mobile phones. That was yeah. the distinction. That's when Wi-Fi first appeared on mobile phones when they had CPUs that had the time resolution and software-defined radios to enable them to. Have Wi-Fi radios in such a small space, so I wonder, I wonder if that will, will drive something maybe. But um. so
0: there's the, there's I mean there's the, also life if you're talking about like mobile devices, there's the uh, computational photography thing, and this is kind of what they're talking about here with the signal processing thing. You know,
1: mm, if, if yeah, you can, yeah. if
0: you've got a single signal processor, you can now do the computational photo- photography in the device on one one piece of the system rather than a separate chip or you know a separate thing in the same package.
1: Yeah, so I, I do wonder about ISPs if they'll move on to the, the CPU. So even one devices like, for example, the Jetsons we were talking about earlier, they have a separate ISP block which handles the interfacing with the with um, whatever's providing the images camera normally, and do, for example, bearing or whatever on it and then pass that into the CPU for further processing so I, I do wonder if some of that will move into the CPU I mean maybe there's not a drive to do so I don't know enough about it um, or maybe it's more of a drive to include these IP blocks into the SOC because the yeah, it's, SOC is a system on a chip it isn't just a CPU in there typically yeah. whereas this is just talking about the CPU but yeah maybe there'll be something there you put this gradient flow thing in here I don't know if that's worth talking about or...
0: Uh, it's worth mentioning just very quickly this was um this was a paper where they were training ImageNet in 1, 1. 1.5 minutes, and it's a very repeatable experiment for the normal person that only requires 512 GPUs. But the main thing I wanted to say Classic. about this is, like, this is like the silliness of, we've talked about it before, the sort of New York taxi database, like how quick can you get the numbers out of the New York taxi database? This is not I don't think this is like a useful thing for anyone that I actually want to train train ImageNet in 1.5 minutes. I think it's a useful useful tech demo. I think it takes longer to get the data onto a device than it does to actually do the training.
1: Yeah, that's what a lot of the the speed it was about, actually, was how they pushed the data through it. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Like it's it's interesting to see what the sort of roofline performance numbers are here, and they are starting to get limited by PCI Express Plus, and that's why you have to go out to more GPUs and things. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of interesting.
0: I mean, I suppose so. It's like anything; it's like overclocking CPUs. Like someone has to be pushing the boundary to see what's possible elsewhere and find where the limits are before we get there.
1: Yeah, and then I guess our final link here. This is really cool, actually. I quite like this. Um, So it's someone's basically put modern computer in an old ThinkPad chassis. Is that? yeah, so
0: this is like a group of enthusiasts in China called 51nb and they basically they're on a Facebook page and if you want to buy one of these notebooks or the, the motherboards or one of these notebooks you'd like do a bank transfer and then speak to them over email on QQ like it's sound, it all sounds pretty sketchy but there's plenty of people that have these machines they're based on like an a, the original one was like a ThinkPad X62, they called it, which was an X61 with modern internals. And now they've got a version called the X210, and you get like a modern... Is it four-core? Yeah, four-core CPU and 32 you know, gig RAM, and uh, just lots of modern stuff and like a nice modern high-resolution screen in what looks like a sort of old um, IBM or Lenovo ThinkPad. Think. It's not
1: that... Yeah, it's a 2010. It's from 2010. It looks old, though. Yeah, well, it's... Um... It's a sort of square aspect ratio screen, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think I think it's, it's like a really interesting thing that someone's.
1: Well, not square, sixteen by ten.
0: Someone's actually doing this, and if it wasn't such a pain to actually get one, I would consider it. Like it's twelve hundred dollars with no RAM or desk but it's.
1: Are you that into? I think I see. Yeah, I don't know. You see, because it's like you don't have a touchpad. You've got the nipple thing, um, which is awful. it's it's not that small. I mean, I look at this compared to... like This is basically the ThinkPad equivalent of a modern Ultrabook yeah. from eight years ago. And I think about modern Ultrabook. So modern Ultrabook with similar specs, like it's what I use every day, right? This is an i seven eighty five fifty u and they're putting in here, and that's exactly what I've got. Yeah. And I've got an XPS 9370, which is a beautiful machine in many ways. It's thin, it's light, it's powerful, it's quiet. So you've got this pool coat you've pulled out here, which is... The fan only turns on if I'm doing something intensive, like compiling Go or scrolling in Slack. <laughs> uh, damning indictment of, indictment of Slack. Um but I don't have that problem with my ninety three seventy with the same CPU. I don't no, know if it's better optimised. De-
0: yeah, it's designed around it. Like, I mean, yeah. it talks about all sorts of things like, you know, fiddling manually fiddling with the power states on it to get more battery life and, you know it just sounds like it. it's a really interesting thing. There's a lot of fiddling involved with it though. It's like a lot of Linux, you know, you can you're gonna have to recompile everything. Um but it's it's cool that this is out there. I'm just I'm, I'm amazed Lenovo don't actually make something like this, yeah, a modern version of exactly this.
1: Well, they do. But they just look different. But yeah, yeah I know I mean, what you mean. It's not exactly the same thing. And some people really love just the form factor and the keyboard specifically of these yeah. these devices. I mean, I and it's some people
0: same with people having really old IBM desktop keyboard.
1: Yeah, and some people love them at touch point, right? It's... Yeah,
0: I don't understand
1: that. Yeah. At all. No, you get them on the Dell Precisions as well so I've had machines with them and just like, I use them for about two seconds and I'm like, nope, no. how do I disable that so I never knock it accidentally again? Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, probably the last pin count for a while, not this it's not been a while since the last one um, but thanks for listening show notes are online at pincountpodcast.com uh, you can find us on Twitter I'm at the underscore accidental and Doug is at Douglas F. Shearer uh, you can follow the show at pincountpodcast.com um, we do love to get feedback, so do do write to us or write to us with uh, topic ideas for what I am going to just just now describe as next season of pin count. <laughs> <laughs> um, season two. I feel, yeah, we, we've done thirty three, and that's like a third of a, a hundred, pretty much to yeah. some so, some level of precision. um your <laughs> maths here, only? Um, yeah, so tweet us hashtag Ash Pin count, or write to us at wrong on the internet at pincountpodcast dot com. Thank you for listening.
0: After show, after shows go. Oh, this is cool.
1: I know, right? Do you see what they've done?
0: Yeah. Oh, that is really interesting. Where, where is this?
1: It's the uh, Direct3D team at Microsoft.
0: Oh, okay. So it's in um, Redmond or Seattle somewhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. So if anyone's <laughs> thinking what we're talking about, maybe you shouldn't describe what it is. Maybe you should just say how cool it is and then yeah, yeah, people to go yeah. So these things that we're looking at pictures of—it's <laughs> um, amazing how many of them I remember, right? Some really cool things here. Um, uh, actually, I'm going to have to talk about some of this uh, pyramid 3D. Remembers that. So this oh, is the Corridors. This,
0: this is the corridor on a Microsoft Office. I'll put the link in the show notes where yeah. they have in chronological order with. Um what would you call them? Like ancestor lines to join up mm. to different GPUs, like a history of GPUs, but with the real GPUs stuck to the wall.
1: Yeah, oh, they got a Microsoft made GPU in there.
0: I mean i imagine prior mm. to sort of like early two thousands there's a lot of interesting stuff there.
1: Yeah, yeah. well like I said, the Per Media GPUs, I remember them. Mm. Oh Savage. The Savage 3D Millennium G four hundreds. Oh v r Per VR live on, right? They most mobile chips using Per yeah, VR cos yeah. GPUs. Oh, an Xbox Dev Kit Street name. Xbox Dev Kit GF3.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, some intern was made to like scour eBay for these. If they didn't, no, they said them. they had them. They had, they said them. They already had wow. them.
1: Yeah. Because they they had to have them for like testing. Yeah. They've got 402 GPUs stuck to their corridors. That's freaking awesome. I'd love to visit that.
0: Yeah, it'd be a really interesting thing to visit if it was like a museum exhibition or something. I mean, it's like very, yeah. very geeky, but at the same time, like the, the history of like, a sp- maybe, CPUs as well, but graphics processors, just because it's more recent, is like super interesting.
1: Well, you say more recent. They come back to the nineties, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that, that's that's recent in terms of like CPUs. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. They're saying basically they had a, someone had a boxes full of these in their office, and they decided to stick them all on the walls. So that's really cool. I love this. I'd love to go and see this. Yeah. This Okay, what have you got in here? Let's see your links.
0: So unlike the usual, the first one's a, a link on the Logitech website. Unlike my usual, oh my god, <laughs> heavy <laughs> my equipment, usual equipment links, side fanon. Yeah, to things <laughs> that are RGB. I'll let you describe what this is.
1: Right, it's it's like a um, racing game steering wheels type thing, but it's specifically for farming simulators. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you've got a steering wheel with a, a ball on it so you can just spin it one-handed, and then the heavy equipment side panel.
0: Yeah, which is lots of buttons and controls for working like farm implements and such like.
1: Push your tractor without the mud.
0: It's not cheap. Enhanced
1: though. command of farming machines and attachments. Well, when you're that deep into your realistic front loader stick, get the sensation of true control over heavy machinery like tree harvesters, cranes, chainsaws, chippers, trailers and more.
0: Does it have... <laughs> Does it have feedback? I did wonder that. Mm. <laughs> oh, I love this. Cruise the farm. <laughs> it's got, like, speed controls and such, like, oh.
1: Oh, you can have more than one panel connected as well.
0: Oh, fantastic.
1: That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I don't have the time for okay. this. I
0: think it's cool that there's a big enough market to make this an actual, like, thing.
1: Yeah. Mm. And then what's this This video? So this is the last one. this
0: we had the previous video like a bunch of shows ago with uh, Japanese fighting robots, and this is one that hmm. I saw that's sort of similar, but it's a different, different sort of thing. I'll let you play. Oh video. god, they've
1: got purely used apostrophes. Like, what is this doing? Okay, so I've got no sign. Oh, it's robots that flip bottles onto tables. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's um,
1: with <laughs> it's quite surreal just watching them all do it at once. <laughs> Different tables in different places. Oh, it's some sort of competition.
0: Yeah, it's like a competition, I think. It's like a um, sort of high schools and universities in Japan compete in this competition where they design and build robots to put, like, bottles of water. Like, imagine you had, like, tables in a restaurant and you had a robot that went round and it put bottles of water on the table. Well, that's what oh, the, yeah. the robots Oh, yeah. Okay, because some
1: of them have got arms, but they're, they're just, like, firing them up and flipping them. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look
0: at, like... Like, about one minute, you see a robot off to the right-hand side that's sort of painted oh, like a giraffe, cool. and it just places yeah, them yeah. on. But like there's one... And then
1: there's one in the middle, just caning them up onto that
0: Yeah, top. the table. The table's like three, four times higher than the robot, and it's getting like awesome. bottles on them. It's
1: about 118, boy at the back with his goggles. <laughs> he doesn't have them on. <laughs> and there's people with bike helmets on? I don't know if they've just cycled there, if they're in yeah, danger of so just taking a bottle. It's sort of like um,
0: standard absurd Japanese over the top uniforms and such like the bike helmets. Um if you wait if you you'll get to like you get there soon like about two minutes there's a very special one that has multiple attempts.
1: Okay I'm having a look at this what am I having? Oh there's a guy with flags. Oh there's some sort of one's firing it over and then it's got a bouncing thing.
0: Mm. it's like a trampoline. Wait, why ball. does it
1: look why does it look like a pink velvet shark? <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's so many questions here.